0: Country engagement, contrary to what most people think, has very little to do with sex and everything to do with the nervous system and how the body engages in the world and how you use the body as a vehicle for the divine, so to speak. Right, And that includes relationships, but it's not nearly as much sex as you would think.
1: Hello. Hi everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to almost 30 podcast. Sometimes we do a formal intro. Sometimes we don't sometimes, you know, but today I'm feeling it today. I'm, I'm feeling, feeling like, like, uh, like telling it. you guys what this podcast is about. Tell them sister. Well, uh, Lindsay <laughs> and I started about two years ago uh, on our closet floors. We've really grown the community and the podcast since then. Um, and now we talk about transitions. We really run the gamut of topics.
2: Yeah, we do. Um, it's true yeah it's really true the community is everything to us Mm -hmm. if you haven't joined our secret facebook group eight thousand women in there talking every day supporting each other all of that and yeah we just we know this
1: is so much more than a podcast and we honor that every day and we honor everyone in the community Mm -hmm. it means so much that you guys are always there for one another and that you guys are um all about making this grow, but all about making yourselves grow mm-hmm. and supporting, you know, everyone else. It means a lot. Yes. I just Theragunned my whole body. <laughs> and I need to tell you guys about it. I got a, I got a Theragun. They're actually based
2: here, right in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. They're pretty close. But anyway, I had to go through an hour long seminar to get to know the Theragun just in case I wanted to like pop it in my vagina or something. I was going to say you got
1: Theragun your clit.
2: Literally, they were like, don't put it in your private parts. We were like, I know, it's a jackhammer. <laughs> really <laughs> I'm like, I won't. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. If I, I, I'd be
1: like sterile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would not know like what happened yeah. to your innards. Ooh,
2: it's intense. It's percussion therapy. So it's really getting below into like the deep muscle, layers of the muscle. It's, Is it battery operated? Yeah, you have to like, it's about 30 minutes of charge.
1: So there's- Oh, you charge it. I charge it. Okay, okay. It's like an intense battery. It's, you guys, it's like an intense little gadget. Just look up there again. But mm-hmm. I just did my my whole body. We need to get the trampoline in here. Gotta get the trampoline. We gotta get a trampoline in the studio. Done. So we can jump. Yeah. I have one in my car, but I just don't know how to set it up. I'll just hang it on the wall. Yeah. We're not using it. I know. Justin's like, can I hang my bike on the wall? I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> 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 mm-mm. Nope. Unless it's Cute.
2: But it would just get dirty On the wall too Just That would annoy no, me We're not It's like very It's like a
1: Portland thing You know what I mean Like literally Let's put mad, our
2: galoshes On the wall Mad and love to
1: Portland Because our- it's like My favorite city But that's a very Portland thing to do You know Like just like Lift your bike up And put it against the wall <laughs> Uh, hilarious um okay so just and i when we were away this weekend i found this article it's one of those things where sometimes i literally read articles online mm, once a year and um <laughs> i found this and somehow just like was just it was so like harrowing it was crazy it's called mm-hmm. the case of jane doe ponytail Hmm. and um it's on new york times so you guys can search for a jane doe ponytail and i shared it in our secret facebook group but hmm. uh basically it was a story about um this woman who came over here from china and she um came to new york to flushing in queens um with her husband who her husband was a lot older than her and he ended up being very sick and she tried to work a bunch of different jobs in new york and then um basically ended up in the like, massage industry or, like, prostitution. So, she was in Flushing. um, And in the 40th Street, there's, like, an area in Flushing that has really, really high rates of prostitution. Mm -hmm. And it told her story. And there was a point where she was, the cops came. So, the cops came to her, like, massage studio and she ended up jumping out the window and killing herself because she was about to be, like, arrested and killed. And it was just, like, really interesting and I was I actually read it was a a very long article but I read the whole thing and I read it out loud to to Justin and it was just like one of those things where you know you're like put in this person's life and in this world that you have no idea about and you know people joke about like rub and tugs or you know that's what they say or you know massage studios where people do like perform sex and stuff like that and it's just so much more than than what you think and you know, these poor women are selling themselves, you know, are, are having sex for $80, $100. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, of course, this is very different than if you are a sex worker and you are in the industry um, by choice and you are excited mm-hmm. by it and you know what I mean, it, it works for you. For them, it was something that was like very painful for her. And she felt like she had to do it as an immigrant because she didn't have certain skills Mm. that she needed to have certain types of jobs. Um, They saved a lot of money and they tried to open up restaurants that failed, you know, and then her husband can't work. And once you're in that, you know, a lot of times, and this is what the article shed light to it's very hard to get out, you know, and yeah. she would be arrested. And this is the thing too, is she would get arrested. And then a lot of the other women um, who, and there was a lot of women that are in, are there that were like 60. And they were like, you know, I'm too old to be doing this, but like, wow. I don't know, you know, what else to do. Wow. Um, so they'll get arrested. And, and it's actually nice in um, New York, they start new programs where they kind of are um, more therapy sessions for the women where they're kind of, helping them get on their feet and addressing the root rather than just arresting them because you really just can't keep continuing to arrest these women because it's not really like helping the problem. And a and lot that, of times mm, she said, um, I'm sorry, she was like talking about there are um, men that own the apartment buildings of these places and charge them person. So they'll like take a cut of like whatever they're so making. Like pimp. so Exactly. So that's they'll have crazy. like pimp, pimp situations or men that will own buildings and not pimp them out, but charge them like per room or something like that. So there's a lot of times where there's like certain men that are aware of what's going on in these situations, profiting off of it and making it even harder for these women to like earn a decent living and mm-hmm. be protected. And that's the thing is like for sex workers, you know, we need to make sure that like people are protected. You know, if you are in that industry or, you know, for this woman in particular, like if for what she's doing, it's like she was raped often. She was beaten often. You know, she was treated horribly. And that's like, the thing is like making sure that they are protected, they are treated fairly. They are like getting paid appropriately for whatever they're doing if they choose to be in that industry. But it was just so eye opening,
2: And I often wonder like if they're getting arrested... Are the men that are, are yeah. women, or women, you know, whoever is paying for the services, are they getting arrested? Probably not. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like, it's going to keep happening,
1: hundred I mean, percent. And just, they should be just as. And oh, you know what? A lot of times there was um, instances too where um, policemen would come in and put a gun to her head, rogue. and like rogue. Honestly. Wow. And that's the thing too. It happens a lot, you know, I don't know, just like shitty situations like that, but it was just like a harrowing tale of this woman's life. And I was just so thankful that, you know, I would, stumbled across it and that people, there are journalists that still write stuff like that, that her life, she didn't die in vain. You know what I mean? Mm. Her story is out and now um, people are just like exposed to what's going on. So we have more of an understanding of like how people are being treated and what's going on. So it was just such so nice to see that, you know, there is still like good journalism and that's totally. interesting and thoughtful and powerful too. I'm glad that they also have
2: like that that program where they mm. can kind of like- what did you say? Come oh, out?
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a program that they do in New York. So they're kind of getting more hip to the fact that they can't just like arrest, yeah. you know, these women and and fix everything. They,
2: they they already have trauma of not knowing who's gonna come into the room of people who are are engaging in this and fearful that they will be found out. Therefore, you know, if anything goes a little wrong or say yeah. they're they're fearful that it might get out. They will possibly turn to violence. Like mm-hmm. they're just kind of always scared. I can imagine. Always scared. So it for says, her
1: to- says they emotionally, this is from the article, emotionally manipulated by their bosses, ashamed of what they do, afraid to trust the women rarely confide in the police or even their lawyers about their circumstances. Mm-hmm. They might be supporting a family in China or paying back a smuggling debt or choosing this more profitable endeavor over say restaurant work. No matter the backstory, the police say their collective silence further complicates law enforcement efforts to build racketeering and trafficking cases against the operators. So it's just, it's so many like, this is actually good. So they said Mm -hmm. with the New York police, we've actually switched more of our emphasis away from prostitutes and begun focusing much more on the pimps who sell them and the Johns who pay for their services like all crime, we can't just arrest our way out of this problem. So they're moving to change the mindset, which is good. But I mean, it was crazy too. I was like reading it out loud to Justin and it was just like, it's really good to just have him hear, you know, that perspective. And totally, you know, because it's not, it it might not be in his his, or maybe
2: just men in general, their daily kind of intake, Mm -hmm. You know, they might be looking at sports. They might be yep. looking at like just the headlines. But for something like that, I completely agree.
1: Yeah. So that article uh, was um, from New York Times and then it's in the secret Facebook group. But yeah, I thought that was crazy. And that was really like stuck with me. Stuck with me.
2: No, that's beautiful. I mean,
1: it's a beautiful article. Yeah. it's Beautiful journalism. I was like, oh, it was like one of those where it like took me to there, took me there. You know mm-hmm. the writing, I was like, oh i'm I feel like I'm there." Wow, my dad grew up in flushing actually, really? Mm-hmm. yeah, okay.
2: well, today on the podcast mm-hmm. Michaela Bohm. Ah, sweetheart.
1: oh, I want to hug her right
2: now. I she's know. a
0: great hugger.
1: <laughs> she's the best She was so adorable. she was a, she was a delight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nice it was kind of a refreshing conversation we haven't talked about relationship sexuality uh, you know in a while so it was nice to kind of bring that back to the airwaves and kind of reignite that conversation within our community around relationship
2: yeah she's a teacher speaker and counselor um, she travels all over the world she taught with David De- I'm going to say it's wrong Data I did it it's yeah. right. that's right <laughs> she co-taught with David Data for 13 years And she's just extensively trained in um, also multiple forms of like body work and yoga. So that's kind of integrated into her teachings as well. We just had a really deep, beautiful conversation with her. I think you can never go too deep when it comes to unwrapping, you know, programming we have around relationships and intimacy um, and really just getting as real and as raw as possible because that's what it is. Intimacy is real and raw. Mm. So like making sure that the conversation around it reflects that um, and she does so beautifully. She um, lives right here in Ojai, California.
1: At a beautiful space. And I think it was before we started recording, but she was talking about um, how her house burnt down. Yeah, She lost everything in the fire and- it was, you she know- lost s-
2: animals too.
1: Oh my God, heart, heartbreaking. I know. She lost her animals. She lost everything. And I mean, I can only imagine that happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, she is a beautiful, dynamic, strong woman, you know, that has something to say. Um, we talked about too, The Wild Woman's Way. So that's her book, that is out. Um, and that's about unlocking your potential for pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. I love the title, yeah. I love it. So um, The Wild Woman's Way is her book. I just bought a necklace with a bull on it and it means I'm wild. I mean, she's wild. Untameable. It's a message for and any it, man. It's my way. Anyway,
2: um, okay. Uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. If you wanna talk about it, turn to our secret Almost 30 podcast group on Facebook everyone's the best. So supportive, funny. Yeah. People say
1: all the time. They're like, this is my tribe. I found my tribe. I found my community. I found my people. Um, And it's because of the amazing people that listen and the amazing people that connect in the community.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. We love you. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you on the other side.
1: See you on the flip. But I've been thinking about claustrophobia and like how I really hate to be in places that have low ceilings. And I'm, this is, Maybe a little conceited, but I'm wondering if it has to do with like my aura and my energetics and like my energetic body, because I honestly, if I'm in a low ceiling place or am I in an enclosed place, I feel so like trapped.
2: That's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: And like now like high ceilings is number one. Like I feel so like much more comfortable in places that have very, very high ceilings. Interesting. And it's very, yeah. like I just like I notice that in spaces that I'm in, I'm like, I don't feel good in places that have like very low ceilings or feel very low.
0: Yeah. Well, I I mean, you know, our nervous system knows exactly what it needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you just listen to that, it's all fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You'd like it in Europe then, because they have these extra high ceilings, which is amazing. Yeah, it's so nice. Yeah. Everything's like tall and narrow.
1: So, from transitioning from living in West Hollywood to Ojai, what has that felt like for your nervous
0: system and like physically? For it was you? amazing, right? Mm-hmm. It was. I could feel because in the beginning, I would still commute. I took us at an office in on the corner of Beverly and Crescent Heights, you know, like in the middle of mm-hmm. everything. Wow. And so I'd commu- commute in on Tuesday morning and then out on Thursday night. And I could tell the difference by the time I came out on Thursday. I was like, so wired. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then by Saturday, I was totally calmed down and relaxed. I could feel my body and everything was fine. And then by Monday afternoon, I would start tensing up because I had to go back Mm. in there and drive and stuff like that. So in a very short period of time, it was just, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'd do just a day. And then it was like, ah, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Just put everything on Skype and that was that. Yeah. Did you have any anxiety
2: about kind of like not, being, or like in
0: the mix, like in a, in you know, a busy place? You know, I definitely did because when you live in West Hollywood, as long as I did, I lived there for like 17 years or oh, wow. so. And, you know, I arrived in LA when I was twenty or 27 and I had to go back to school it's a long story but I worked at Fred Siegel on Melrose oh cool so you know like it was all hip and cool and everybody knew everybody and you know you'd go out every evening and so that's that's kind of was my West Hollywood experience by the time I left I was in my late 30s and was married so it wasn't quite the same thing but you know you constantly see all the new stuff, and the, and the way the people were dressed, and the new restaurants, and you know all of the stuff that we kind of take for granted living mm-hmm. in LA, and that was all gone. Like because back then Ojai is Ojai now is kind of a hipster paradise, but back then it wasn't. There were like four restaurants in town, mm-hmm. <laughs> really. We still don't have an Indian restaurant and I love Indian food. You shut up. Who's the one, one. Yeah. celebrity? <laughs> about- I have so much free time. I know, <laughs> so much free time, Miguel. <laughs> but so it was really strange. Now I can't imagine living there anymore. Wow, yeah. I can't I imagine living in West Hollywood either. Yeah. Yeah. I feel
2: the same way about New York. We used to yeah, live in New York. Yeah, and I yeah. just, I'll just i go back and visit. And because I know that I'm, I'm able to leave, mm-hmm. I'm okay with being there. But I can't imagine myself living there in New York's
0: like LA on steroids
1: Steroids. yeah so I do wonder if like I sometimes think I'm like if I lived in Ohio or I lived in like South Dakota Mm -hmm. or something like that (laughs) I'm like I wonder if I could get more done because I do wonder if some of my energy is drained without me knowing it you know, yeah, just no, you from know. living in the city. And when you're driving, you have your energy drained in traffic or when you're around cars or sounds or definitely light pollution. Definitely, mm. Yeah.
0: You definitely have your energy drained. And even if you don't have your energy drained, you get numb, right? And that numbing oh. just over time, you just can't feel that much anymore. But the difference between North Dakota and Ohio is that you can get into LA in an hour and a half. So yeah. you can always get... The hit of that kind of, you know, and I mean, shopping and stuff like mm-hmm. that is so much more fun. But then when you're out there, there's just nothing to ma- mess with your mm-hmm. system, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we, you were talking earlier about aura and subtle body. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, your subtle body, when you're when constantly somebody kind of rubs on you, right, by people and energies and loud and noise, it's certainly makes you more irritable you have to work harder to relax i think
1: yeah
2: Yeah, i want to talk about kind of the nervous system and how we like our relationship with ourselves and with other people and kind of how that Mm. intertwines Mm. could we first could you first introduce yourself to our (laughs) i know we jump right in but i figured just to kind of yeah close the loop who you are and (laughs) how you you know started this work and why you are so passionate about it Mm -hmm
0: that's go my first it. question yeah okay <laughs> who i am well i'm Michaela last name Bohm. Mm-hmm. um i'm an intimacy and relationship expert amongst many things but that's kind of the more official title my background is kind of an interesting background in the sense that i have a very formal education in the realms of psychology and union psychology particularly and um went very deep into both uh, dream explorations and archetypal work uh, fairly early on. And at the same time, I had the incredible fortune of meeting people amongst them, the woman who I call my teacher, um, who gave me an education in the realms of embodiment and uh, tantric engagement. And tantric engagement... Contrary to what most people think has very little to do with sex and everything to do with the nervous system and how the body engages in the world and how you use the body as a vehicle for the divine, so to speak, right and mm. that includes relationships, but it's not nearly as much sex as you would think uh, when you listen to you know neotantric stuff um so I'm combining the uh, psychology, the archetypal work, the work that I uh, developed in response to the embodiment and and the tantric teachings. And I also worked um, as a relationship counselor and counselor in general for 17 straight years, like nine people a day, five Mm. days a week. So I did about 40,000 client hours in my career. And That, of course, means that I have a vast um, background in how do people relate to each other, what works, what doesn't work, what makes something uh, a long-term relationship that works versus how is dating and why would you date or why would you get married. So all of those kind of areas where people have a lot of questions because it's the one area where we don't get educated uh, that's kind of my field. And you were asking, why am I so passionate about my work? Well, one of the reasons is exactly that, because um, with fairly little education, you can make a huge difference in somebody's lives, mm. both individually and in a relationship. And that to me is very, very important, that the things I do and the uh, extreme practical nature of my work is what I'm passionate about. I don't want it to be just the thing that you read about and talk about. I want it to be so that you can apply it and very quickly see Mm. the results or the outcomes. Sometimes it's not a result, it's more like, huh, and then you start playing around with certain things and then you see the, the whole it's, um, like you know, hmm? it's like a butterfly yeah,
2: effect. It's like a butterfly effect. It's like the little tiny yeah. things and then you kind of see it yeah. affect everything else. Wow. So
0: yeah, so that's the, That's one of my big passions is to make sure it's very, very practical and it's easily integrated in life because, mm. you know, I don't think people have the time anymore or the bandwidth or the attention span to immerse in something for, you know, even hours or days or years right so it has to be maximum depth with minimum time engagement Mm. and where did you grow up like how did you
1: have such a comfort with this topic for because for some um, like for me growing up I wasn't necessarily comfortable or I didn't feel Yeah, I guess there wasn't like a comfort around the topic of intimacy and love. And I didn't know what embodiment was and I didn't know much about relationships and no one really taught me. So how did you grow up and how Mm. did it give you this like freedom and ability to communicate in this way? Mm. Well,
0: I'm European Mm. and that helps helps a lot, of course, right? (laughs) Uh, It helps a great deal because... There's way less hang ups around these things. And it's a lot more natural to engage with the body and mm. engage with sexuality and engage with nudity, for instance. Right. Mm. It's it's not unusual for people in Europe to go to these baths, right? We have these hot springs and stuff like that. Everybody's naked and it's not a funky sexual thing. It's Mm -hmm. just, oh, this is what humans look like without Mm -hmm. clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that certainly is one aspect of it. The other thing that I really have to say is that I hit the jackpot as far as families go. And I can't say enough about that because my parents are just really cool people. Mm -hmm. Like, really cool people. And still are. They're still both very much alive and and very full, right? Even though they're in their 70s, they haven't shrunken down or back Mm. or gotten really weird. They're still very much in life, living life, being with each other, having a proper relationship. Um, And so those are the people I grew up with. So my father was very intent on the body being used the way a body needed to be used. And I hated it. Every (laughs) Freaking (laughs) Mm weekends. In the winter, we would have to go skiing. In the summer, we would go hiking. And it was just like, you know, particularly when you hit puberty, it's the last thing you want to do. Get up at seven in the morning on a Mm. Sunday to go out Mm. on the slopes. But because of that... And because of the strong emphasis my parents placed on the body being used and moved and Mm. nature and being outside, um, I had the kind of upbringing that set me up well, right? Because I was in a a family that was very functional and loving. My parents were very affectionate with each other and with me and my sister. You know, I had, I mean, it's not that it was all idyllic, I you know i had a fairly contentious relationship with my sister who was 5 years younger so i'm saying mm-hmm. this to say it wasn't all fairy tale mm-hmm. but in the in the biggest sense i had a pretty damn perfect upbringing mm-hmm. in the sense that um i had a lot of um autonomy and freedom within very strict boundaries my parents when i look back at it had this really I don't know how the hell they did this, but I was raised really strict in some areas. Like I could never be home after midnight till I Mm. left the house with 18. Mm. I had to be home by 10 till I was 17.
1: My curfew was 11.30. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, 11.30 seems a bit more reasonable than 10 when you are at a party. Well, like, what are you going to do? It's so funny. Like, what are you doing at that party? Well, that's, yes, you well, know, exactly like, that, that, but that's not the point when you're 16, yeah, no exactly. Exactly. It's, <laughs> exactly. but like, I was never allowed to sleep over <laughs> outside the house. Oh, that's interesting. Oh my God, yeah. my parents could not wait to get rid of me. Yeah. 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 My
2: dad was like, what's the point? I was oh like,
1: because the whole thing yeah. is
2: the point, the whole experience. And he's like, you're going to be tired. You're going to be in a mood tomorrow, <laughs> blah, 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 yeah. blah. Like, and I that's was like, like,
0: bizarre. okay. Like, but I wanted you so bad. Yeah. yeah. You know? I see, I never even knew that it was an option somehow. <laughs> right. I mean, I later on found out that that's what was done. That was just that never occurred to me, yeah. which is kind of funny. And mm. when I would come home, I'd have to breathe on my father so he could smell <gasps> if there were cigarettes on my breath and stuff like that. Yeah. So I had very, very strict rules in a certain way. But within that, I had such freedom. I had a little motorcycle. I was like out and about. I could go wherever (laughs) I wanted to go during the day, as long as I was home by 10. And so it it was interesting, the juxtaposition between really strong boundaries and total freedom. Mm. And I used that to the fullest in the way that I was constantly exploring stuff and going places. And when I was younger, I spent every day at the stables cleaning horses, hoping that one day I could ride one, And mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Nobody cared where I was mm-hmm. within the boundaries of what was, you know, to- was, was told. Mm-hmm. And that certainly set me up and, and gave me the kind of robustness that makes it possible for me to do what I'm doing because I'm not particularly tortured from my childhood when mm. I, mean, I had like anybody else, some pretty insane experiences later in life, but my childhood was very love filled and affection filled and mm. sexuality and, and nudity and all of those things weren't a big deal. Mm. You know? So you saw your parents be very in love and affectionate
1: and. I still do. Oh. Interestingly enough. What do you think it is that makes them their relationship so strong?
0: Well, you know, I definitely would say that a lot of what I look for when I look at couples is the very markers that my parents display. And because, of course, they never read a book, right? They Mm -hmm. never went to a workshop. They never did any of the things that we now have access to. They just figured certain things out. And one of the things that they did that is one of the markers of good relationship is they did things separate, they didn't spend every moment of every day together. They had mm-hmm. their own lives and their own domains and uh, very different responsibilities when it came to raising us or making money or dealing with the house. So they had they had their areas and that's what they were responsible for. And there was very little overlap in the responsibilities. Of course, you know we were a family and things like that. They also went on vacation by themselves. Mm. My mother would go with a girlfriend and go to Greece or something. Love that. And mm-hmm. My dad would go wherever if he would want to go, mm-hmm. both professionally and also personally. So then they would come together and then they actually were full human beings who would relate to each other, not as just mom and pop, but as two humans who had something to offer yeah. to each other. Mm. They still do this. My dad still goes out by himself on Tuesday evenings, and my mother has things she does. And they have very individual personas. And when those two come together, they are still a spark. Mm -hmm. They're still very loving and affectionate. And I was just home uh, in June, and I walked into the kitchen, and my parents were kissing. Aww. And it's so cool. Did you go, wow. ew, uh, not anymore? <laughs> I, I went through a phase ew. like that too. Yeah, but I'm going to uh, my room. Yeah, well, I no longer have a room, that's yeah. the sad thing. <laughs> <And> <laughs> my t- ex room is now my father's office. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> I haven't uh. lived home in oh god, I don't even want to say that 30 something years. Yeah, so yeah, Ugh. yeah,
2: there's a sense of like peace, I would imagine, like with just like the state of your relationship when you can take time apart, you know, I just think, you know, now, and this is a very blanket statement that does not apply to everyone, but a lot of relationships happening in your twenties. I feel like I've seen friends too, where you kind of like, decide your schedule and what you're doing and how you're feeling by your partner and your, your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is. And so there's this sense of like desperation or like attachment that is not healthy. So I just, I mean, that is like goals right there is to be able to detach and to be able to have just this sense of peace around your relationship so that like, if you are to travel when you're not together and And to be able to like bring those experiences to the table to talk about. I mean, if if you're spending every waking moment together, what do you have to talk, nothing about? to talk about? Hey, well, exactly. That's the base of the
0: sexual relationship right there, what you're describing.
2: True. Yeah. Can we right. talk about that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes.
2: Because it's so often I feel like there's this thing that happens when people yeah. get married or, you, or they're in relationship, they're dating and it's like hot and heavy and amazing. Yeah. And then they get yeah. married and it's still kind of new and amazing. And then like a lot of people talk about, I don't have the... I, I'm yeah. Not married, but like we're at plateaus, yeah. and then you know after kids, it's yeah. all downhill, yeah. or after yeah. this, it's all downhill.
0: Yeah. yeah, and that's seen almost as an inevitable fate. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. I know. And it's kind of an interesting thing because when you watch it from the outside, it's oh my God, this is so amazing. We're so compatible. It's so great. This will never happen to us, right? right? And then people, I always love that when people who just got together run relationship seminars telling everybody else, you know, how to have a relationship <laughs> six months into their relationship. And it's like, oh, you wait, you know. And mm-hmm. and all the things you say you're never going to do, you start doing. And the reason for that, and this is, I, I've said this many times in interviews, and I, I actually wrote about it in detail because it's so important when you understand it it totally takes kind of a a pin out of that that hamster wheel of inevitability which is that what makes a relationship good is the very thing that kills your sex life and that mm. it's a total mind fuck but mm. when you know what that is then you can deal with it so relationship is based on sameness and what that means is that the more you have in common with somebody, the better your relationship. This is not only true for intimate relationship, mm-hmm. right? You two are friends. The more you have in common, the better you communicate. The more your preferences align, the more mm. people you know together, the more harmonious the interaction will be. And this is also true for intimate relationship. So you meet someone and you don't know them. And because you don't know them, uh, you are interested in finding you know and syncing up because there's a spark there Mm. and that syncing up happens over time and you know one of the of course most delicious parts of being in a new relationship are these long talks you know talk all night Mm. have sex talk (laughs) have sex talk (laughs) right you spend whole weekends in bed telling the stories of your you know misspent youth or whatever (laughs) and it's just so good and it's so magical and what it is is you have the spark that comes from opposites attract mm. because you're strangers essentially mm. so you have this strong sexual engagement and you're building the relationship so you find the sameness you both find out you love Oysters or something like that, right? And it's like, oh my God, I went to this movie premiere, the same place you went, right? And it's like you have you suddenly discover all the sameness. Mm. And that's what makes a relationship work. So that's super, super important. And particularly when you decide you want to marry somebody or have children with them, you should know that your values are aligned, mm. right? So religion, uh, money, you know sexual orientation all of mm-hmm. those kind of things that you think is aligned you have to actually find out it's aligned and only when it's aligned will it work otherwise you're in constant strife so when people have relationship issues what they actually have, have is issues in aligned values
1: mm.
0: or issues in communication so if you can't agree on money or you can't agree if your children are being baptized or not, or if you, mm. uh, you know, can never talk with each other without it blowing up, those are relationship issues. They're, relationship of, uh, they're um, issues of not enough sameness, right? And so that's when you understand that, then you have to understand that in order to have a functioning long-term relationship, if that's what you choose, you have to find somebody with whom you can align as fully as possible. However, here comes the horrible part. (laughs) As you align as fully as possible, you become more and more of the same. And the more you become the same, the less that opposite attract. Mm. We call it the erotic friction in the work I do uh, because that says it all, right? There's friction. The friction rubs. It makes it hot. Mm. The hotness is the sexual hotness, but the friction is the disagreement. Mm. And so you know... I'm sure you know people like that. I know people like that. They have crazy hot sex, but they constantly fight. Mm. Crazy hot sex is usually makeup sex, right? Mm. They can't agree on anything. It's horribly contentious, but they have great sex Mm. because they're so far apart. As you come closer and closer and closer and closer together, there's less and less and less of a spark, less and less of that. They call it polarity sometimes, Mm. the two poles Mm -hmm. that create the arc. We call it erotic fiction, but it's pretty much the same. There's Mm -hmm. a few details that are different. And what that means is that at some point when you've dated for a while, now you're moving in, right? Now you're in one apartment and your belongings mix together. And that means, of course, that only the things that you both like, make it into the apartment. So there's more sameness. Mm. Now you sleep in the same bed all the time, unless you have palatial digs. But, you know, most people want to sleep in the same bed. Then you have common friends. So now you go out together. And lots of people then start a business together or, you know, do something. They have the same sport or the same Mm. activity or the same charity or whatever it is. So suddenly you're always together, right? There's no more space for that that eruption, that flare. And then one fine day, you find yourself on the sofa in your sweatpants with your favorite snack, watching your favorite TV show, and you're holding hands, and it's really nice, and nobody wants to have sex. And that's the moment a lot of people go, oh, shit, the relationship is in trouble. Mm. But as a matter of fact, the relationship is good. But it's fine. It's the sexual or erotic tension, the sexual attraction that's in trouble. And the good news, though, is that that's much easier to fix than aligning uh, oneself with a relationship. And when you also look at how much time you spend living with somebody versus how much time you spend having sex with somebody, you have to kind of see this all in perspective. Mm,
1: and yeah, so my job
0: essentially is to teach people. One of my jobs is to teach people how to create that spark at will, which you can because it's just principles. It's like physics.
2: Teach us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, you know, how how people get started today if they're yeah. if they're sitting on the couch and they're like, oh my god, like. I was once, like, madly in love with this or or feeling the spark with this person yeah. and now it's been a couple years or a decade yeah. and yeah. what do we do? What's, like, something they could do yeah.
0: today? In the book, there's one headline that says, stop touching! <laughs> 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 exclamation mark, right? It's yeah. in a book I write in detail about that because it's such a heavy issue for most people, right? So one of the things that you do is you separate out, Right? Mm. You spend time apart. Yes. Right? Very, very important. One of the things that really kills a relationship is if you have uh, stop having separate friends and separate activities. Yeah. And you do everything together. And there is something that I want to say a little bit later about people feeling the need to orient themselves so completely after their partner. We'll talk about that. But if somebody says they want to work on this, the first thing you do is you create space. And then in that space you fill yourself up with new things, right? So you go places or you do things. And even if it's just reading a book or watching something that the other person hasn't watched, so that when you come back together, there's a sense of a slight newness Mm -hmm. because it really is about being different, right? And there's, there's more to it, but if somebody wants to get started, Started The one thing to do that immediately makes a difference is if you stop touching randomly just because that's the thing to do. So a lot of people, particularly as the the sexual attraction goes down, they start getting more and more touchy. And Mm. they constantly, you know, there's some rubbing or pecking on the cheek or stuff like that. And what that does is a little bit like when you run two magnets together they actually um, stop being polarized. And it's literally like that. If you constantly touch in an unconscious way, it's different when you say, hey, let's sit on the sofa and cuddle. That's different, right? But if you just rub and touch and kiss without really meaning it, you're training the nervous system to become essentially numb to that touch. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why often, you know, after a while, when you kiss the same person, there isn't that thing anymore. Right, But you can regain that thing, for instance, if you stop kissing and touching for a day or two consciously and go, okay, we're not going to do that. And then you do it consciously. It reloads as if it was totally fresh because you're not so desensitized. So that's number one, stop touching. Number two, spend some time apart. Mm -hmm. One of the worst suggestions to give somebody who is, no longer having the spark is spend more time together. go for an intimate dinner you're already doing too much. The thing is spend some time apart, go other places, come back with fresh input, then come together properly right so that those are some of the quick and easy things to do
2: it's so interesting, like even just thinking about it, like i'm not in a relationship right now, but when I was, I would have so much anxiety about like thinking about the next time that I could be with that person so that like they would still like me or wouldn't, or, you know what I mean? Like just, yes, it's like that touch thing where I'm like, yes. okay, so like yes. you're around me, you're touching me, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. great. And yes. you want to be with me. Yes. And yeah, it'll be interesting to like exercise that in my yeah. next relationship because I'm, I am, we are so busy right now. And so The space is created in that way, but also to intentionally create the
0: space like, yes, you go there. I'm going to go here for a week like that. Well, it's you know one of the nice things about getting a bit older and uh I know your podcast is about that reaching that that certain point mm-hmm. right in life the first of many milestones which mm-hmm. is 30 right and then comes yeah. 40 and then god comes 50 you know? <laughs> <laughs> just insane in itself <laughs> um one of the nice things about that is as you get a little bit older and particularly like you're saying, now you're busy, but you're also kind of discovering your worth. Exactly. And that makes a huge difference because the kind of guy who you have to worry about that between your date on Monday and your date on Thursday, he goes off you is not the guy you want to be in relationship with. Exactly. It's just not good. And one of the Under things, of course, is that nobody likes a needy woman or a needy guy Mm -hmm. for that matter. And when you have that feeling that something horrible could happen, that neediness, of course, repels the other person. Because one of the things with the poles is that if you have two north together, they repel each other, Mm. right? You have two south together, they repel each other. You have to have a north and a south so for the magnet to do its thing. And when somebody is needy that's kind of a it pushes the other pole away uh, unless you're both so needy that you you know forever stick together and form some crazy codependent thing but usually the way it goes is hmm. push pull right and when you are busy and when you actually know your worth you're more apt to be with a man who actually finds that really interesting and finds you really interesting. And, you know, without playing games, not always being available is a really good thing. You know, it's not one of those, oh, no, I'm not available. And then you sit at home and chew your paws off because, you know, <laughs> you just and you stare at the phone and you hope he texts, but mm-hmm. he doesn't. It's not that, but it's the genuine having a life that that makes you interesting and sexually interesting as mm-hmm. well yeah yeah that that's just
1: so stressful like when you're in a relationship and like they're like touching you and cuddling you and you're like cool <laughs> and then the next second you're like sitting on the couch and they're not and you're like, oh yes. man. Yes. So it's, stressful. It's, bu- yes. it's bizarre. I, it's funny about the touching thing because my boyfriend and I, we touch 24 seven. Like if we're together, we're touching and playing. So there is like, I could imagine like a D, de- like a desensitization to Over each time. other. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Cause we're like, yeah. Enmeshed in that way. So yeah. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I love that.
0: There's, you know, there's things you can do early on so that the relationship doesn't go south. And this is one of them mm-hmm. right, where you're mindful. it's nothing wrong with touching mm-hmm. if you're actually touching for the pleasure of touching that mm-hmm. person uh, and not touching when it's just out of habit or mm-hmm. need. You know? mm-hmm. But yeah, there is, the, there is these milestones in a relationship, right? That horrible first moment, the first time when you've been with somebody, you know, that you're dating and then it's the first night you're not having sex, right? Mm. It's just, no, that, oh it's God. It's like a, a
2: scene in a movie. Yeah. It is that dramatic. It's that yeah. dramatic.
0: It is. Yeah, it, you're it, like, it's like, I'm disgusting. It, it's hard to imagine that that should be so, but it's, and, and a lot of men can't understand that, of course, because they're just at a point where they're comfortable enough with you that they don't feel like they need to um, perform against right. their are bodily needs or something like that. Right. But to a woman, it's the end of the world. It really is yeah. in a certain, I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's yeah. funny. Cause like, we're totally,
2: I'm speaking for myself. I'm totally fine if we don't, but then I start thinking, oh, does he think that I don't want to? And then exactly. yeah. actually, and or, like the insecurities come exactly. up. Yeah. Or what's happened like, yeah. and why?
0: And exactly. Yeah. And it's all about the insecurities. And I can promise you uh, as you get a bit older, that passes. Okay, yeah. cool. And
2: <laughs> I mean, I love having sex. It's just like yeah. there is that anxiety. Ex- and yeah. I just haven't been in a intimate, deep relationship in a while. So like my only one is like from college. So I just remember that time when yeah. like I just thought he was like, because I didn't want to, and yeah. his ego is hurt, yeah. and yeah. you know, yeah. you have yeah. to make and it up to um, them, and all this exactly. stuff. And
0: that's the bad chain reaction. It was so- like, fine, I'll give you a head. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like, really,
1: like, oh, it's so bad. I do remember, yeah. like, I've been with my boyfriend for a long time when we kind of transitioned out of you know, we've been living together for five and a half years of like having sex 24 seven mm-hmm. and just freaking out and being like so nervous. And, you know, I'm yeah. like not nervous. I just was nervous that he wasn't as interested in mm-hmm. me. You know, obviously I internalized it in like a negative way. And I remember talking to a girlfriend, she's like, do you want to have sex every day or do you want to have good sex twice a week. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want? I'm like, Oh, I'd rather have good sex less. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's now I'm like, okay, I'd rather really enjoy it and be really
0: into it than just be having it to having it, yes. you know? And I think that's, that is mm-hmm. what happens in a good relationship over time is that, you know, you don't have potato chips every day. I mean, most of us don't have potato chips every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you don't have potato chips every time you want potato chips mm-hmm. simply because Most people's bodies and lives don't lend themselves to having potato chips all the time, Mm -hmm. right? And most people's lives eventually don't lend themselves to having sex every day. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a normal development because as you create that relationship, there's other things um, in addition to sex. That doesn't mean that your sex life shouldn't be great and fun and alive and full, but you know, there's also, you know, succeeding in your career mm-hmm. or having a little bit of time for yourself to explore something new. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it in the long term much more interesting because if you, coming back to the, you think every time, oh my God, is this guy going to call again? All of that. What that does is it makes you a lesser human mm-hmm. because now you're no longer sitting and reading, mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, now yeah. you no longer go to the yoga class because he could have time suddenly, right? You you turn down invitations. We've all done it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm as, as guilty yeah. of that this. That was
2: like classic 25-year-old Lindsay Yeah, mm-hmm. where I was like, yeah. well, if he calls, like I want to be free tonight just right. in case. Mm-hmm. And then he wouldn't call and I'd be like yeah. tears You have your phone like next to you and i workout work at class. Literally at like, you're like max volume. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you recommend for people um, if they wanted to start that conversation when, you know, that moment when, or that night, the first night you don't have sex, you yeah. know, in a while, yeah. yeah, like, what is that? What does that look like? Cause I, it, I would assume that would have to be a conversation kind of
0: like a light Conversation? Do you recommend a conversation? I probably wouldn't. Okay. Because nothing good ever comes from having conversations about sex while (laughs) you want sex or just had sex or about to have sex. Okay. Right? (laughs) That's a good golden rule. Yeah. Usually that's an awkward moment for both people involved. Okay. Because the one person goes, Oh God, I, you know, I should just make myself do it, even though for whatever reason. The other person goes, Are you going off me? What's happening? Are you pissed? Are you okay? So the best thing to do is to get a good grip on yourself, if that's at all possible, Mm. and keep your inside thoughts inside. Got it. Got it, it, Michaela. (laughs) It's one of those duct tape moments, right? And And you just have to relax and go, okay, I think it's that moment in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then you watch the behavior, which is usually whoever is the one who didn't want the sex gets a little bit freaked out, right? And mm-hmm. backs off. And if you are totally relaxed with it, you'll usually see them relax and come towards you in the relational yeah, sense.
2: I feel that. Okay.
0: And then life proceeds as usual and you usually have sex the next night or whatever. And then it finds a rhythm that's not fraught by mutual insecurity. Yes. Yeah. But if it if stuff starts going funny, right? So it's like one night, it's like, oh, you know, I was so late at work. The next night, I'm not feeling well. The third night, it's like, you know, I want to stay home. And mm-hmm. Well, then, of course, there's a trend, and then you have to look at that. And at that point, when there is a long-term trend, then you'll address it, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, but long-term trends usually happen only two ways. One is… The, the thing is over, right? You, you've you dated, now it's supposed to move on to something else and it's not, mm. right? That's one one way it can go. Or the thing is actually deepening and in the deepening, other things happen. And that might include being comfortable enough to not have sex, just to have sex, right? Because that's what one does every day. And uh, filling more space with relational activity and intimacy and depth, right? And Or sometimes life just kicks in and you get super busy. The relationship is great, but the relationship is no longer the be-all, end-all in your life because it's taken a certain direction and trajectory. And then that's okay too. But in general, I would say on the first time it happens, hold on to... You know, your pants, your mouth, your brain, your insecurities, and wait it out. And that's really, really important. Um, It's very hard to do, but it's important because in a new relationship, precedence gets established that's really hard to wipe out later. Yeah. Once you have funny things and some resentment or something went wrong or the trust was broken, it gets very hard to repair.
2: I feel like the partner also like mirrors your energy too totally. in those situations, yeah. especially when there's like question and nonverbal communication. So if you're calm and, you know, yeah, content, yeah mm-hmm. that's interesting.
0: And, you know, dating, <laughs> I mean, I do not envy anyone. I think about dating. that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that once a day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, sweet sister. Just because I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Or because I couldn't be, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be confident. I wouldn't be who I am for a lot of reasons, but I just feel like I'm too, I don't know.
2: I know exactly what you mean, Mm -hmm. but I I feel like I am who I am and you're better, but- uh, Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like how just like kind of tracking different friends and when they've found their, you know, partners and how it's perfect for them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't be fully yourself mm-hmm. and who you are in this time in your life if you weren't with Justin. Mm-hmm. And I would not be fully myself at this time if I was still with my long-term boyfriend. So it's like
0: weird how that happens. Well, that's, you know, that's another big, important piece. When you talk about, um, you know, what I'm personally passionate about, it certainly is the, the engagement with who you really are, truthfully who you are versus Mm. who you think you need to be. And there's a huge gap there for most people. And part of it is society and religion and, you know, culture and yeah. stuff like that and your upbringing. And part of it is self-imposed, of course. And so what you were saying there is absolutely right. There is no two people or no two relationships that function the same way. And one of the really, really horrible things is when you, when you assume it has to be a certain way, that's not even right for you. Uh, that's the worst part. It's one thing if you really honestly go – I want to marry my high school sweetheart and have two P, two kids and stay at home till the kids are 15 or 16. And then I find some career, right? Uh, if that's truly what moves you, then that's what, then that's great, right? But if that's what you're expected to do, because that's what your parents did and your community did and the people in your church did. and But inside of you, you know, that that's just totally not the thing. You're going to find yourself in a really tough position because you're going to conform to something that's not true and it makes everybody very unhappy yeah. and can cause huge pain and trouble for everyone involved. And so finding out what's actually right for you is really the most important thing before you enter a relationship. Yeah. Because then you can also, like you were saying, now you haven't had a relationship in a while and you are busy, So that will necessitate a certain kind of a man. And if you are clear on what you can actually do, and if you're you're clear on what you actually want, then you have a really good chance, Mm -hmm. really good chance. But if you go out there trying to find Prince Charming with whom you get married next year, when really your life isn't such, and when you would be really honest, aside from the, the romantic fairy tale notion of being swept away, and you know all of that. When when that subsides enough that you can think clearly, and you can say, "I'm making this up," but you know what? I want to spend the next four or five years really building my career, and all I really have is like two three nights a week, mm-hmm. and I can't travel right now, and I certainly don't want children, and I really like my independence. Well, that. Translate into one kind of a man and one kind of a relationship. Yeah. Versus, I want to find my life partner, settle down, and have children in the next two years. How do you figure that out? Like those things out, you know, because it's like your upbringing
1: and the people that you're around and your family and stuff is a part of who Mm -hmm. you are. So, how do you step aside from Mm -hmm. that and understand? what is part of who you are today, Mm. and what is just a
0: conditioning? Well, on a bigger level, how you get there is that you become very uh, in tune with your body and your body's messages and sensations, and that your body is part of the so to speak, advisory board of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Because the body never lies and the body never forgets anything. Mm-hmm. You can emotionally and mentally delude yourself, but the body reacts, right? So what you do on the, in the bigger picture is you become finely tuned to the sensations of your body. And that's done partly by relaxing, tending to the nervous system, releasing old trauma, sensitizing, right? There's all kinds of ways you can go at that. But the other part is that you spend some time and it's good to do this with friends sometimes. First you do it alone, you sit down and you describe your ideal relationship, right? So first you describe your ideal relationship. And then you feel that in juxtaposition to where you're at right now and your life. And you really check if your life and that relationship are aligned. If they're not, then that means one of two things. Either your relationship goals are a bit skewed or your life needs to change. And you can figure that out usually by speaking with friends, Mm -hmm. right? Good friends, not the ones that want to sabotage you, where you go, well, you know, I really want to move out to the country the next year and start a family. And somebody goes, right. What happens with the five years you've invested in your business? Oh, I can do that from out there while having a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a problem. I'll commute every day, right? So then you have somebody Poke holes in your fairy tale. And then that what that will do is will either make you adjust your life mm. or it will make you adjust your fairy tale. So that's first step. Then once you've determined what it is that you think you want, and of course that changes as you grow and you know, but you start somewhere, then you go, What kind of a man do I need to fulfill that particular set of circumstances right and for instance the man that is happy with you spending two or three nights with him um, and uh you know is happy with you being public on Instagram whatever right like that yeah. kind of a thing is a very different man than the man with whom you move to Iowa to start an organic vegetable farm and have five children. -hmm. Right? They're not the same men, and there's different requirements for those situations. So you kind of reverse engineer from your desired relationship purpose, so to speak, to the kind of man that would take. And then you ask yourself, what do I have to offer that kind of a man? And that's usually a moment of rough awakenings, right? Because One of the mistakes that we make, well, there's two mistakes we make usually (laughs) in dating as women. One is that we think that the guy we want wants the um, qualities that he has in us, which of course... Mm-hmm. is wrong because that would make it a business partnership or a friendship and not a sexually polarized relationship mm-hmm. right the guy who kicks ass every day doesn't necessarily want to come home to a woman who's also kicked ass every day where and have long business discussions some might guys but most guys want to come home and then have something different happen yeah right or the other way around, the woman who kicks ass every day, all day, is not going to want to tell a guy what to do in the evening after she's t- told everybody else what to do all day, right? So you have to be aware of what do you want from your man versus from your job or your friendships, mm. and then what do you have to offer that man so that when he comes home he's delighted to see you and doesn't necessarily feel like, "Oh God, another thing, or you come home and you're like really <laughs> you couldn't yeah. even buy some milk right yeah. like like that kind of a thing there's you know, and so that's how you determine that, and as you determine that. Um, then you can actually hone in on a, a dateable man for you. And of course there's chemistry and all kinds of stuff, but certain people are just a no-go because of the set of circumstances. Totally. right. And if the purpose of your life and your relationship, for instance, is crazy, wild, adventurous sex and travel, you certainly wouldn't date a man who has two young children from his first marriage.
2: mm mm-hmm. Right.
0: <laughs> Doesn't matter how much you're attracted to him and love him. Yeah. That's not your guy. No. Yeah. But this is the other mistake we make: we date potential.
2: Oh, say that so again. So true.
0: <laughs> my mom said that about you. Yo.
1: Oh God! Really? We
2: date potential because we yeah. think why? Because we think we can She's make like them like better and change, yes. them and change them. And I mean, it's part yes. of my life.
1: Yeah. Yes. Women always
2: think
0: that. Well, I'm we like do because it's kind oh, of interesting women are are built to see potential yeah that's right <sighs> we're essentially built to see this tiny little baby we have birthed and imagine that tiny little baby as an adult responsible human being right and you know see a, a dirty apartment and imagine what it will look like with a little bit of paint and so on and so on, right? See an outfit in the store and imagine what it looks like with just the right shoes. So that's what we're built for. It's the problem with dating a man who has potential is that you're essentially saying who you are right now is not okay, but when I'm done with you, you'll be just fine. Right, and what that means is it sets you up to be a maternal figure or is boss.
2: You don't want to fuck your mom.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. Exactly, because you don't fuck your boss or your son. Son, <laughs> uh, ideally, <laughs> if you're in your right mind, yeah. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there's a kink for everyone, but in general, mm-hmm. you don't. Right. So you yeah. set yourself up in an in an unfuckable situation, totally. but also. You're depriving that person, that man in this case, of acknowledgement and a pride in who he is. And, you know, when a woman says, wow, this is a great guy, but, you know, he needs to wear better clothes and get a better job. It's the same thing as if a man would say to his friends, well, she's a great girl, but you know what? She needs a nose job and a boob job and lose 20 pounds. I always
1: think about Ouch. that. Mm, I'm like, if a right. guy said that about, because girls say that, they're like, he should dress better. He should do all this. And like, if a guy said that about his girlfriend, it would be
0: World War Three. World War Three. Yeah, <laughs> right. But that is when you say to a guy, well, if you could just get a better job, make more money, yeah. drive a nicer car, wear better clothes, yeah. you know, have better mm. friends. You're saying, I don't like you until you change Right, and of course, when a guy does that, it's pretty dicey because what else is he going to do when somebody tells him to?
2: But mm-hmm. right?
0: mm-hmm. you can trust a guy like that on the other end. You want him to do the things you want him to do, but when he does him, it's so unattractive, right? Because yeah. he's just, Okay. Right. Yeah. How about this shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Yikes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Can we like dig into? the relationship with your own pleasure and how that translates in relationship with another person mm. in terms of pleasure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why that's important mm. and how we go about doing that.
0: Oh, that's such a good topic.
1: <laughs> I know it's a big one. So,
0: you know, women are built for pleasure, right? Mm. Uh, uniquely built for pleasure. Um, and when you look at like women's orgasms versus men's orgasms, for instance, right? You yeah. Which can, one feels better? Well, I'm not a man, so it's hard to tell, but reportedly we have many different areas in the body that can light up with massive pleasure. We have many different spots in our genitals that can Mm. light up with massive pleasure. While with men, it's a fairly localized uh, thing until they learn how to spread the sensation around, which men can, and then men report equally full-bodied. Pleasure, but in general, uh, for you know, survival, so to speak, women have to have a lot of energy in their lower body because you have to conceive, you have to ovulate, right? Then you have to conceive, Mm -hmm. then you have to uh, maintain a pregnancy, then you have to give birth, then you have to feed the baby from your own body. You know, all the while you have to keep track of where the baby is, and you know, all of these kind of things require. That our entire body is involved and not just the head. And so we are built to have a lot of energy and a lot of pleasure and a lot of aliveness in the lower parts of our body. And a lot of blood can go there and, you know, sensation can arise. But because we live the kind of life we live, right? The three of us—we're sitting here in chairs. Mm -hmm. Right after I've driven for two hours, and you know you've been on the computer most likely, and you know so on and so on. All our energy pools up here where it's needed in the head, neck, and shoulders, and that energy is pulled away from the areas of the body that that have pleasure and aliveness. Mm. So, for most people their body isn't that accessible to them other than they have a moment of turn on or something, or something hurts. The body is kind of just there while Mm -hmm. the head and mind does what it does. And that is a problem because, for many reasons, for one, it's not fun. Uh, Another aspect is you are not using a, a, a vast amount of your available potential and capacity. And you are devoid of the sensations that actually allow you to, let's say, regulate your eating naturally, um, give you uh, a good, strong sex drive, Mm. uh, give you intuition, Mm. give you creativity. All of that sits down there, so to speak. And if that's not available to you, because you can't feel it, it might as well not be there. So that's why pleasure is so important? Pleasure is what drives creativity. Also, is what drives um, money. Interestingly enough, right? Mm. Um, in an interesting way, creativity, money, sexuality are all the same thing. And if that area is not very alive, you're not actually using the force that's in your body for fucking eating, making money, or you know whatever mm-hmm. whatever is down there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and. Um, so reconnecting with pleasure in the body is very, very high on my list of priorities after a day of work or, you know, after an intense teaching run, because it's completely okay and normal for it to go, because it's actually not useful when you have a day of emails, right? Or right now, as we're sitting here focusing on something specific, too much pleasure isn't practical. Mm-hmm. But it's just not, right? I, I If I drive down the four or five, I don't need to have orgasms.
2: <laughs> right. That's where I get my
0: best What orgasms? about those people that have orgasms constantly?
2: <laughs> yeah, that disease. poor yes. thing. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely debilitates you, but, but that's not to say that you couldn't have pleasurable sensations while you're driving. You can, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily the best use of energy distribution. Right. Problem with that is that that which you do the most is your prevailing pattern. And so if you spend every day, all day doing, 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 writing emails, driving, telling people what to do, that's the muscle you're developing. It's actually my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, well, like yeah. Every, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have this, you know, you do, you do biceps curls with just one arm. So you have this one really, really big arm, right? And the other one is all atrophied, mm-hmm. And that's a little bit like that. We have the strong get shit done muscle yeah. and this weak pleasure muscle. And so, we always have the pleasure available. The muscle around it isn't that trained, right? And so you can train the pleasure muscle, uh, and it doesn't mean sexual pleasure. It means sensual aliveness. It means awakenings of the body, like the body being awake and available to you. Mm. And then with that, it's not as hard to get, let's say, to an orgasm as when you're totally numb. And so one of yeah. the things that I teach about and, and wrote about is what I call background pleasure. So meaning you always have a pleasure available to you in your body. You just don't pay attention. So right now, if you kind of rub your, you know, uh, uh, your garment on your shoulder, let's mm-hmm. say, or something mm-hmm. like that, or, or or move your hair so that it touches the neck, you can immediately feel pleasure. Nobody did anything to you. You didn't have external mm, stimulus, right. but you know I can move a little bit, and or you can take your bra off, and it's like, oh, <laughs> that kind of a thing. So you always have pleasure available, exactly like that. You can always mm-hmm. move your hips a bit, or wiggle your toes, or feel your or touch your you know leg or something, mm-hmm. so that the attention goes into the body. And then your body is a little bit more alive. And then when you want to have sex, for instance, you don't go from zero being totally numb to 100, which is orgasm. You're already at like 40, 50, 60. And with that extra aliveness, you'll also be able to bridge the gap from, you know, get shit done to date night, Because that's hard to do when you have a busy life. Mm. So you have to completely turn your attention around. And so background pleasure, like on the way home, or when you're on the computer, ever so often stop, little rituals that like what you just did with spraying mm-hmm. yourself with something, right? Mm-hmm. Drinking a cup of tea, having a ball under your foot while yeah. you're working. That's my newest little kick. Oh, yeah. Balls, how crazy you know. is
2: it? How much tension it's is in, in, your in your feet? In the feet. feet, exactly. Yeah.
0: Oh. So you can with very, very, very simple, easy steps, keep your body sensually engaged and alive. life. Essential oils, mm. um, you know, flavored water, what, whatever it is mm. that gives you that feeling of, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, there's more to this mm-hmm. than my head in the yeah. computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love
1: that. That's really good. Okay. So we talked about the energy distribution. I wanted to talk about on your men's retreats, like, mm-hmm. cause we focus so much on, you know, mm-hmm. females, like what we could do. What is it like to lead these male retreats and what are some of the learnings from this and how could we engage men more to be as interested in this as we are?
0: Mm-hmm. Great question. question. Yes, very good question. Well, one of the things that I think is important to understand, this is a very broad statement, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of those black and white statements that needs to be filled in with a lot of different shades. But most men are not as interested in relationship as most women. Mm -hmm. They're just not. Yeah, And that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you look at, You know, your relationship, I don't know anything about it, right? Perfect and amazing. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure you wouldn't want to be with a guy who sits home every day just waiting for you.
1: Yeah, puke.
0: And then when you come home, he's like, how was your day? What can we do? I I missed you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I made you a cake and now I'm sitting here waiting for you. And um, what can I do? What can we do? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that would be pretty Mm -hmm. traumatic. Um. <laughs>
1: traumatic is actually the perfect word yeah. for that. <laughs> that you, would be traumatic You'd
0: be me. like, oh, back <laughs> Honestly, off me, right? Yes. It, you wouldn't want yeah. that. You want to come home and find- And have uh, them ignore me and like- <laughs> Yeah, <you> know, <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> ignore you, but have a life, right? Uh-huh. Have a life and have something to do and have something to be passionate about yeah. and kick some ass in his chosen field. And that's what makes a man interesting. You know, very few women go- Oh, you know, there are some women, but very few women would prefer the incredibly dumb, but very good looking surfer boy to the incredibly smart and very accomplished rich man who is not quite as good looking, Mm. right? Because the and money, by the way, it's not the money in itself. It's the capacity to get things done. That's translated into money. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you want to have children with one of the two, which one are you going to have children with? Right. Mm. Right. So. That, that's just good sense. Yeah. Shiny uh, Surfer Boy is nice for a role in the hay, but Shiny Surfer Boy is not with whom you want to combine yourself for marriage and children. Yeah. Right? Mm. So, unless, of course, you're so high powered that you need the relief of Shiny Surfer Boy, but that's a different story then. Right? Yeah. Because then you're just minding your own business and having an accessory, yeah, which is fine. And mm-hmm. I know women like that who are very happy. But if you want a guy to have a life and a career and a purpose, uh, you don't want him to be that engaged with relationships. right? But what you do want is that when he is available, he is actually available. Mm. Meaning yeah. he has open available time when it's time to have that time. And that's a really important distinction to make when working with men. Is that men have very different values. Uh, For most men, one of the highest values is freedom. Right. Uh, For Mm -hmm. most women, one of the highest values is being loved and loving. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not exclusively true. Like for instance, I value my freedom. I want to say equal to love, at least, you know. But Mm -hmm. for most people, this brings us back to the staying home and waiting for the text, right? We value love more than freedom for the most part. So we rather are caged in in the apartment waiting for a text than being out there doing our own thing. But we want to be with men who value their freedom more than their love, so to speak, so that they're useful as humans, right, And, and applying themselves fully to watch to which degree depends on the kind of relationship you have right if you want to be with an adventurous man who uh, travels the, the world you probably need somebody who wants more freedom than when you want to have six kids right that that's a given but in working with men what we look at and i have a male teaching partner which is really really great mm-hmm. because uh We should have him on. Mm -hmm. We should have him on. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, You'll you'll love him because he's a a Scot. He's born in Scotland. Oh, wow. um, Has the most fantastic accent. Um, (laughs) What is Scottish accent? Well, he doesn't sound Scottish anymore because he's lived in England for a Um, long time, but he has got this nice English accent. But that's not his first mm -hmm. uh, uh, prevailing feature, but that's very fun to speak with in a podcast. He's got this big red beard and gigantic curly hair. He looks very Viking. Done oh, cool. and done. And <laughs> what makes him interesting and why I love teaching with him and traveling with him is my business partner is that he is very much a man's man. Mm, right? Meaning yeah. he started martial arts when he was three, uh, engaged in meditation, starting at that time was on the Scottish national fencing team, mm. um, uh, was a musician, a very, very well-paid, very, very good session guitarist, um, has worked with men for 10 years on the areas of dating and relationship and sexuality. So he's super well-rounded and he's a freak about meditation. And so he is someone who can work with men in the domain of freedom because it's certainly his highest value. But he also knows a lot about women and is very... um well-versed in the relational aspect with women that he can help men with that. And so when we Mm -hmm. teach men's retreats, he will work with men on creating kind of um, integrity in their body where they're uncompromising, but not assholes, right? Meaning they are free to make choices and then commit to those choices fully Mm -hmm. versus wanting something, but, not wanting to say it and getting shifty in relationship. Mm -hmm. And you know those guys, right? Mm -hmm, They say one thing and they mean another and they they don't have their sexual stuff worked out. So you always have to worry if they're cheating or doing weird stuff. So there's a way to work with men to empower them so that they're, so to speak, naturally in integrity. And that's done with a combination of moving the body um, stilling the mind, so meditation is a huge aspect. Mm. It's not so much for my women's work, but for the men, we work a lot with meditation as kind of an entry into dealing with impulse control, mm. dealing with strong emotions, dealing with weird, you know, kinks and stuff yeah, that man. are un resolved Mm -hmm. and so men's retreats look very very different it could be they sit for three four hours and say no not not a word um you know they're in nature they make fires they engage with nature in some way um they do movement right and stuff like that so my job in the men's retreats is to provide the perspective of a woman and to talk about the things that we as women want and what how certain things are perceived, which most men are fairly blind to, because how would they know? And then Steve's job is to actually work with the body and the mind and the attention and provide the actual instruction also in the sexual areas so that men are free to choose not from some weird contraction and kink, but from a place of being free. Mm -hmm. Because that's what you kind of want in a guy that he comes to you freely. Mm-hmm. You know, and not because you were really good at manipulating him. Mm.
2: <laughs> so true. Yeah. I'd love, uh, before we wrap up, to talk about your uh, book, Wild uh-huh. Woman's Way.
0: That's so good. It's such a good yeah. title. It's such a good <laughs> title. Great you title. know? Thank you. You're a wild woman. I'm certainly a wild woman. I love you. And not in the sense that I'm crazy or, Maya. you know, fangs and <laughs> and stuff. That's part of it. I can go pretty, you know. But the wild woman is really an archetype that means you're connected to your nature, yes. right? And that means knowing who you are. And that's when we do, I'm just about to start teaching a weekend this weekend, right? What we do is we figure out how, how does each woman express? It's very different for each woman. It's not a cookie cutter goddess thing. It's like a who am I and how? do I want to be in the world? What are my gifts in the world? Mm -hmm. How do I connect with who I really am and bring that forth versus bending myself in a pretzel to be something for somebody else? Mm. And so the wild woman is the archetype that has both the incredible wildness of nature moving through you, right? Life moving through your body. And that includes your intuition. That includes being in tune with your own Body, with nature, with animals, with life itself. Right? So it's that the part of us that's never left the natural world, so to speak. Mm. And within that, there is sub archetypes, so to speak, right? The healer, the wise woman the witch, right? The sorceress, the the seductress, right? So then you can kind of fill that in with all the different aspects of you and let them all come out and play and shine. So that's kind of what the book's about is how do you express as a human mm. within the context of rewilding, you know, going away from that incessant influence of outside, you know? And, and um, within that... The book has chapters on dating, chapters on relationship, a chapter on orgasms, mm. it talks about trauma in the body and how trauma in the body manifests, mm. it talks about energy distribution, you know, it talks about getting older since that's where I'm headed, you know. Mm. <laughs> Children or no children, what are the considerations around having children, career? You know, so there's all these aspects that I'm looking into, and how do you come back to yourself and how do you figure out who you really are, boundary setting, those kind of Mm. things. So that's all in there. And then the last part of the book, which is the part that I'm the happiest about. Is all exercises and practices, and oh. there are all these things we just talked about, right? The getting into the body, mm-hmm. feeling the body, pleasure practices, movement practices, mm. releasing of old shit practices, mm-hmm. rituals, little sensuality hacks, you know, engagement with nature, engagement with animals. So, there's the whole third part of the book is just stuff you can do, and I made it so that. You can do it in a minute or two, or you can spend a long time because most people don't have a lot of time. And it should be things you can just incorporate into your life, like ah. spraying a little bit of stuff on you that reminds you you have a body or rolling the thing. And then when you have more time, you can do these things in more depth. So that's the that's the quick rundown on the book. And I'm Beautiful. really, really happy about it because um, – It was such a bizarre thing to do the book because I had to do it in six weeks. Wow. Yeah. I had a six-week summer break last summer. Seven weeks to be exact, but the first week was one of these crazy humorous things. I rented a cabin in uh, Holland at what I thought was the beach. Um, And I had this romantic notion of spending my first week as a writer in this (laughs) cabin by the beach. And I was going to write, and then I was going to go for walks. Wow. Turns out the cabin was a shed in the backyard of a house Uh, where some old, very lecherous uh, dude lived who spent his entire day, I don't know, 15 feet from me on a table smoking. And coughing, smoking. Just like staring at you. Oh my Um, God. It wasn't so much scary. He was not super creepy. He was just, you know, every time I walked by, he looked at me and and winked and stuff. And the house was technically in the dunes, but the dunes, it took two and a half hours to get to the dunes (laughs) to the ocean. So you're in the middle of nowhere. I didn't go anywhere. I went there once. It took me all day to go. Then I couldn't get it. The Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't get an Uber back because it was too late. It was like a six hour trip all around. I never went back to the beach. Now I was stuck in this tiny, very charming, but tiny cabin outside of this guy's backyard table. And I was supposed to write and. Ah, it was not good. It was not good. I don't think I ever ate as much as in that week. You know, that's all I did essentially and watched endless uh, episodes of, I think, Madman or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Like some really, so nothing happened. So that was my first week of writing. It was not nearly as romantic and restorative as I thought. So then I came home and then I knocked the book out in six straight weeks. Wow. And, um, Then submitted the book, went back on the road, and then through a series of circumstances that had to do with my editor taking on another book book in between, I was supposed to deliver the book the seventh December 15th, and then December 4th, my house burnt down. And so oh my God. one of the reasons I'm so happy about the book and and so excited about it being out was that I had to do the whole second draft, so to speak, that the, the things required, you know, there was like fleshing out of chapters and stuff like that post-fire. Wow. You know, without electricity still. We still didn't have electricity or internet. And I, my the, uh, deadline was pushed back to January 15th. So I did it like in, in a week in January wow. after having somewhat gotten a few sweaters and a few mm. socks and, you know establish some kind of a life again. And so it's really, you know, it was like a baptism by fire kind mm-hmm. of a situation. Wow. And so I'm quite um, happy with it being out. And should be really proud. Yeah. Making, making it, my baby making its way out in the world. Yes. Um, yeah. well, before we started the podcast, we
1: talked a lot about Michaela, her house burnt down in the California fires, So she was in Ojai. Um, she lost everything. Her husband was able to get out. Some of her animals on her farm or not. So yeah, that's very real here in in California, all the fires that are happening. Yeah,
0: it was crazy. And the thing that saved me was essentially everything that was in the book. Mm -hmm. All those practices, all that staying in the body, not checking out, um, making sure that every day had something that oriented me towards the things that were important to me. Uh, One of the things I did, one of the first things I did, the moment I could leave at the area, I went to a flower, like a a nursery down in Ventura, and I bought whatever they had that was blooming, which was not much in December. There were a few poinsettias and uh, Mm. something, right? And I put it all on the front door of the place I was staying. Everything was charred and burned, but I had these four blue pots with these four blooming Mm. flowers, and that's what kept me going, right? That orientation towards beauty and life and pleasure Mm. and... So here we are. Wow. Nine months later and the book's out. And wow. So yeah, excited. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait for y'all to listen. <laughs> I know.
2: Listen and read the book. Read the book. I mean. um, yeah. We're just, we're grateful that you made your way down. I, I know. It was a thank long drive. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so how can people connect with you?
0: My website, which right. I'm assuming you'll put in the show notes, <laughs> yes, right? It's michaelaboem.com, which is not that easy to spell. <laughs> we uh, not, you don't <laughs> know. Like. Yeah, exactly. So you, you'll, you'll spell it out. And, and, on the website, there's absolutely everything. I yeah, have um, it's a great website. Eighty plus hours of free content on SoundCloud. I have like information about the different stuff on the front page of the website. There's all kinds of resources, you know. And then yeah, I have an Instagram account which I carefully. Uh, populate with my animals and dogs so and cute. cats and things so if you're not up for much information but for lots of pretty things <laughs> my Instagram's the way to go so great, my little Beautiful. scruffy dogs
2: so sweet, yeah. can't wait to see yeah well thank you for being here thank and you for we should having come to me. a
1: retreat in an Ohio oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. I would
2: Together. love that I would love that. For our relationship. Yeah,
1: for sure. Should we get
2: embodied? <laughs> 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 Little Tantra babe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much Thank for coming. You. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Michaela. Love her. <laughs> I want to take. A I course. have conversations like that every day in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I can never know enough. I know. Truly, I know. we
1: needed to do more of that. Thank you so much for coming.
2: Um, we love you, Michaela. Oh, I wanted to shout out three members of Almost Thirty Nation who came mm. to ride with me at SoulCycle. There were three sisters. Mm. They were so sweet, oh. Claire, Charlotte, and Courtney. Where are they from? Um, oh, shit. Don't ask me a question. I don't know. I know. Shit. No, um, actually, no, they're here in, they're here. They're here in LA. Awesome. I thought they were visiting cause I'd never met the, like, yeah. you know, um, uh, but they're here in LA and oh. they're so sweet and just thank you. They all listen and they've shared oh. it with friends and just shared that it impacted their life. So shout out to the three of you and sisters are so special. It's always, you know what I mean? yeah. When you meet family, we meet a lot of like moms and daughters yeah. who listen. I just a lot like, of moms and daughters. So cute. Cool. Moms. Cool moms. Cool moms. My, my mom was listening the other night, like late at night. She was laying with my dog to to the uh, Tim Braun episode. And she's like, hey, I love that episode. Could you let me know the underwear company you're promoting now? I want to buy some new underwear. Ah. <laughs> I was like, no problem. Yes. You willow warrior. There you go. <laughs> some really
1: good underwear. Um, also make sure podcast pro, so mm-hmm. you're a podcast pro. If you've ever wanted to start a podcast, this six week course with Lindsay and I will help you to get your podcast from idea to iTunes. So we are excited to be launching this. There are limited spaces for this. We will fill up. So make sure to register for that now.
2: Yeah, we're so excited. There's room for everyone. We want you to be successful and just put your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. Learn from a lot of mistakes that we've made. Yes. And we're just, you know, pumped about this in the new year.
1: All right. We love you. We love you. See you guys the later. Bye. Bye.